Welcome, true believer readers, to Let's Read Peter Parker, The Spectacular Spider-Man, a division of Let's Read Spider-Man, a proud member of the PacePot Patreon Podcast Network. If you like this podcast, you may also enjoy a podcast for people seeking a way to get away from their boring, mundane lives. Great idea. I, I'd love to take some sort of vacation or exciting thing. Yeah. Listen to Mr. Hyde as he seeks to avoid jail, seeks to get revenge on his old partner, the Cobra, and seeks to not change back to boring Dr. Zabo. Listen to Hide and Seek Wednesdays at 7 a.m. on the PacePot Patreon Podcast Network. Uh, I don't suggest revenge being your motivation to get away, James B. From April of 1982, Stanley presents Peter Parker, The Spectacular Spider-Man, 65, The Heart is a Lonely Hunter, by Bill Mantlo, Bob Hall, and Jim Mooney. I gotta start off with the cover of this book. I like it, James B. You know how so often we get a cover and it's some image that never occurs in the book at all? Yes, very often. (laughs) Very often. Well, this cover occurs in the book almost exactly the same, I would say, and it's a very gnarly cover of like a craven that looks kind of vampire-esque with long nails and long teeth and he's way bigger than spider-man and spider-man's got all these bubbles around his head so i imagine he's under you know having some problem but i like that the cover cover is pertinent and mysterious and foreboding i can appreciate the cover it gets a 10 out of 10 for being relevant and pertinent i don't love it because it's not my thing but it's very relevant to the story so kudos and we'll thank Joe Rubenstein for that one, too. Thanks, Joe. Craven is swatting around some hired patsies. This is the same way that we saw Kingpin wrestling people for fun in his hideout. With a little help from his lady friend, Calypso. Across town at ESU, Dr. Sloan is reprimanding Peter for failing grades. Peter shakes off Deb Whitman as she attempts to comfort him, and Marcy Kane pours salt and Deb's wound as Peter accepts Marcy's invitation to study later that evening. Give some juice to this Marcy uh, Deb Whitman relationship with Peter on page five. She is such a jerk to Deb. Uh, she goes, Deb, what's bothering our perpetual perturbed Mr. Parker? And she says, Oh, hello, Marcy. I think Peter's in trouble over his studies. I'm just a secretary, so he seems to think his problems are far beyond my comprehension. And then Marcy says, well, they're not beyond my comprehension. I'm here on a science scholarship, too. And then she waves goodbye and goes after Peter. Oh, poor Deb, thinking about herself being a secretary. It's harsh. And they make sure that they show her in in the panel as they keep talking. She's just sitting there looking solemn, like she doesn't have any thought. You don't need just the art is like, look at me. I'm so sad. I'm so upset. Super sad. Whereas Peter's life is complicated, the life of Spider-Man is not. Find a villain and fight him. As Spidey is swinging about that night, he is attacked by Craven. <coughs> Craven is not alone. His lady friend Calypso is hypnotically beating a drum that dulls the spider sense. Even with this advantage, Craven struggles in this fight. Yeah, Eddie, a reminder to the listeners that Craven's greatest weakness is that he sets his own rules for what is appropriate during his hunt for Spider-Man. At times, he's been comfortable using others, such as having, you know, Calypso beating this drum here or Tigra being possessed or the chameleon working with him. But for this fight, apparently he's only allowing this drum. 
and that's it. Uh, it's important because Calypso secretly intervenes by shooting an herbal hallucinogen into Spidey's ankle, and Craven immediately notices his opponent's demeanor changes. At first, Craven thinks Spidey is paralyzed by fear, but soon realizes Calypso's helped Craven in the fight. Monstrous figments of Spider-Man's imagination cause him to lose his grip on reality and attack everyday objects. <laughs> Craven, dishonored by receiving assistance, saves Spider-Man's life at least twice, and when the police arrive, Craven and Calypso are hauled away. Not long after Peter recovers, he meets up with a vivaciously dressed Marcy Kane to study. Craven says he must do it alone to earn Calypso's love. Calypso tells Craven he already had her love. He tells her that he can't love someone who won't honor his dignity, and he is not worthy of her love not worthy of her love as a failed hunter. The cops say, you can discuss your differences between the bars of your cells. Bill Mantlo, just great writing here. It's, it's a love story. It's not a, it's not a fighting book. The banter between Spider-Man and Craven was excellent all throughout this fight. Bill Mantlo has some excellent writing, Eddie, throughout this whole book. There are not very many filler or wasted panels in here. I could just read this book a couple times. This is really good stuff. The next book, it's from May of 1982. Stanley presents Peter Parker, The Spectacular Spider-Man 66, Electro Will Be Free by Mantlo, Ed Hannigan, and Jim Mooney. Electro has broken out of prison and is causing mayhem all over New York City. Peter is supposedly studying, but... Actually, he's trying to put the moves on Marcy. I, I, maybe they're just friends. It's forced to cut his study session short and rudely disappears to fight his old nemesis. This whole Marcy Peter thing, James B., needs a little clearing up for me. Yeah, he's not putting moves on her, at least in this book. He's uh, just happy he got help. He lifts her up a little bit. He's not putting any moves on her. He's just being happy. In the previous book, Marcy invites him over to study and he comes to the door and she's like very dressed up and she's like, we'll study after we get something to eat. I'm it just seemed saying, to be implying she was like... He's not putting moves on her. Well, he picks her up though. He's happy. And she's like, he's happy like he's set me down. Steps. Yeah, he just picks her up because immediately he doesn't do anything after that. She's like, put me down. He doesn't... He doesn't respond in any way. He he sees the news and he just takes off on her. And then, you know, she walks back but, in the room and he's gone. And then she's all mad at him. She's like, I'm done with him. Forget that. He's not putting moves on her. I I, I purposely right. reread it because I knew you, you wrote it's confusing. Yeah. And that's my area. He's not putting moves on her. <laughs> all right. As the professional. Uh, when Spider-Man catches up to Electro, he finds him too much to handle. Electro zaps Spidey. <laughs> thinking he's killed Spider-Man once and for all. Uh, but when nearby J. Jonah and Lance Bannon go to investigate, Spidey's hobbled off. Peter sews up a new costume from an old rubber air mattress in an hour. Peter says aloud he's not a seamstress, but I beg to differ. <laughs> this sways the tide in battle, and the overconfident Electra receives a punch to the face ending the pair's second round with another Spider-Man knockout. 
In the end, we see an embarrassed J. Jonah Jameson because he's prematurely run a headline claiming Spider-Man is dead. Yeah, Electro has sometimes been a problem for Spider-Man with his electricity. At this particular fight, Electro was winning like all the rounds of this fight. He was out there destroying everything left and right, blowing stuff up. I think his only purpose was just to be a pain in the butt or defeat Spider-Man. He didn't have any other goal here. Usually he's into money. That was how this character was created, uh, to be like a greedy character. But he gets unlucky. He tries to make a deal with Spider-Man. It's very quick. It doesn't explain a lot of it. But Spider-Man basically says, like, you can't beat me. And Electro's like, well, I'll just keep destroying the city. And then Spider-Man's like, okay, how's this for a deal? Uh, I'll let you defeat me. And then you stop hurting all the people. And he's like, okay, sounds good. So then he grabs Spider-Man. He tries to, like, zap him, like, and kill him. But the rubber suit insulates Spider-Man. And then he's like, ha-ha, I defeated you. And Spider-Man one-punches him. That's it. Once he gets his hands on him, it's over. Yep, that's uh, it. Well, I started reading this book, and I was immediately like, oh, it's Ed Hannigan's art again. It's so, like, primitive and antiquated. It feels like a really old-style comic book. It's almost as bad as some of the writing that occurs in this book, which is super expositional. Uh, the Amazing Arachnid's 30-foot leap. Uh, that's Electro, the master criminal. We, we've been paying better attention to this uh, in the past. How about this one? But the electricity, which is constantly recharging my body, has also increased my physical stamina. We know these characters, this art, not so good. Bummer for me, both of them. Well, Bill Mantlo was uh, getting a lot of praise from me from the last book. I know. Same, same author, but what can you do? I'll tell you what we can do. We'll give him one more chance. From June of 1982, Stanley presents Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man 67, Boomerang, the Killer Who Keeps Coming Back, by Bill Mantlo, Hannigan, and Milgram. Uh, just because I mentioned the cover earlier, the cover of this book is, ooh, and the title does not have my hopes up. But we shall proceed. Boomerang is making an unsanctioned hit on one of Kingpin's stoolies who's about to squeak to the FBI. Convinced he's done the kingpin a big favor, he heads over to the muscly crime lord. Or is this guy fat? The narrator calls him fat several times. It's supposed to be muscle, right? Uh, well, to reap the favor for Boomerang's efforts. Uh, but it turns out the kingpin had planted the squealer on purpose, and Boomerang messed up a complex plan by killing him. Kingpin says he can redeem himself by killing Spider-Man, knowing full well that Boomerang will fail at this task. I didn't have a problem with this cover at all. I thought the cover was kind of clever because it has all kinds of scenes from the book and it puts them slightly out of context occasionally. And I don't know. I thought this was a really interesting cover. And Too busy like, for me. I don't like it. <laughs> all right. Well, you got to describe your craven cover that i wasn't a fan of <laughs> it says adventure mystery romance face it friend this issue has it all and it has boomerang biting spider-man in one corner okay it has the it has the kingpin smoking his famous thin cigar that's exciting there's an explosion aunt may is looking at the phone she's terrified there's guys shooting guns there's spider-man dodging a boomerang and then big picture of Deb Whitman crying. Something that I'm like, wow, I haven't seen Deb Whitman crying. This will be an interesting... Uh, I'm just kidding. I see her crying all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but the kingpin's up there in the corner looking menacing. And this is the same kingpin, Eddie, 
in this book that's from the Daredevil comics. They even reference in this book Daredevil 181, the very famous comic. This is a dark version of the Kingpin. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I'm, this is my redemption again for, uh, for Bill Mantle. Let's see what he can do. Well, uh, since Electro destroyed his last costume, Peter Parker has outfit problems and uh, misses his lab time at ESU. After a tongue lashing from Dr. Sloan, he loses his patience and punches a locker. Deborah tries to comfort Peter, but gets the usual aggressive cold shoulder from our frustrated hero. Being a jerk again. This book has a lot of panels with people keep calling Peter, and he's getting frustrated with like all the responsibilities he's got going on. But then he swings off his Spider-Man, and he lets the reader know, which is a common thing he does these days, how happy he is to be swinging about... And he really never feels as good as when he's Spider-Man. So they've really been trying to change the the character to be like he's happier when he's Spider-Man than when he's Peter Parker. That's uh, mm. something I've been seeing a lot of lately in these books. Boomerang catches up to Spidey and a fight ensues. Spidey gets gassed in the fight. But perhaps to emphasize how incompetent Boomerang is, uh, Spider-Man ma- still manages to defeat Boomerang. Like Piranhas, the Kingpin's men pounce on the no longer skybound Boomerang, but just as they attempt to kill Boomy, Spidey tosses him a couple of Boomerangs so he can save himself. Then Spider-Man webs him up for the police. Uh, The Kingpin menacingly watches out the window, contemplating. Now, did Spider-Man toss Boomerangs to Boomerang to save him, or just to get a good picture? James B., did you see him? He's like... I needed this picture for the Daily Bugle <laughs> as Boomerang is getting shot at. Yeah, he says a panel before, though, they're about to kill Boomerang and doesn't yes. deserve that or something. So, you know, of course he throws in the Boomerangs to save him. But that's one reason. But I also wanted to take this picture. <laughs> that's not why he did it. If he, if he had been dead, he couldn't have taken the picture. After he throws the Boomerangs to him, Boomerang throws his Boomerang items to knock out the bad guy's guns. And when he catches Boomerang, Spider-Man just takes it away from him with a web. He's like, nope, you don't get this anymore. I'm yeah. thinking, why didn't Spider-Man Spider- just take out the bad guys himself? Right? Like, he could just web them instead. <laughs> Whatever. Giving Boomerang hope. Um, that's the second part of this book. I really liked how calculating Kingpin is. He's, he's like not flustered by two of his plans where the squealy gets killed. And then it's incredibly clever how he like sends Boomerang off to fight Spider-Man knowing that Boomerang won't be able to do this. And his men are there to catch Boomerang when he fails, too. Ooh, I like Kingpin in this book. There's a part in the book where Deborah Whitman calls him, and she's trying to call him because he's tardy for his Dr. Sloan thing, and he picks it up, and then he gets yelled at, and then it's he gets called by uh, Marcy Kane, and she's yelling at him because last issue, he ran out on her, mm-hmm. and the books are there, so he gets yelled at by her. And then the phone rings and it's like Joe Robertson saying, like, do you want this? Or should I give the assignment to Lance Bannon? And then Peter's getting all angry. And then the phone rings and <laughs> screaming in it. And it's Aunt May. And then she's like, oh, why are you so worked up? And he's trying to make excuses. And he's just having a really rough time. And his costume's all ripped up. And that's yep. why he goes back out. He's like, I'd rather be Spider-Man because he doesn't have all these problems. But he sews an entire costume, Eddie. Unbelievable. It says, like, he takes the whole day. He's like, well, I guess it's time to pull up the needle and thread. I'm like, do you have the material? I'm like, what's going on? This guy... How did you? Whatever. I'd like to go to a, a Peter Parker sewing class. This, he is more than a seamstress. He's an artist with the needle. Yeah. Peter. 
Yeah, but he does yell at Aunt May, and uh, and Aunt May's okay. She's on the cover looking scared because he's getting yelled at by her on the phone, but it's that scene. But Aunt May has a much bigger part of the next book. That last book we're going to cover today is from July of 1982. Stanley presents Peter Parker, The Spectacular Spider-Man 68, Hell Hath No Fury, Like a Robot Scorned, by Mantlo, Luke McDonald, and Jim Mooney. We open with a man killed by strange, rocket-shaped, ear-boring robots coming out of a phone into his ear and returning to the phone, and quickly move to another panel where Peter and Aunt May are mourning and recalling their dear Uncle Ben at his gravesite. Eddie, on page three of this book, they give you a couple panels from Amazing Fantasy 15, and they have a couple lines here, too, that are famous. Can you just think of some famous things they want to like let the... Let the readers see that they might have forgotten. How could I ever forget Aunt May giving Peter his wheat yeah, cakes wheat. and Uncle Ben, like patting him on the Right. Back. Wheat cakes is one of the four things they cover here that's important. <laughs> uh, and then, let's see, um, Uncle Ben dying. They kind of don't really talk about it directly. They don't show Uncle Ben getting shot. True. No. Yeah, they don't show him getting shot, but it's like, I know he says something about not stopping one of the panels is the, he catches the burglar who killed Uncle Ben, and he says, this burglar yeah, killed Uncle Ben. I had the power to stop him, but I didn't. Mm-hmm. I think, I think was he wrestling, too? No, the other two are more important than <laughs> no. that. <laughs> no. Uh, I don't know. What are the other Get two? bitten by the spider. Ah, and then yes, he says, like, I learned that I have to have great power comes great responsibility. Oh, yeah. But they okay. squeeze this all in the middle of Peter Parker, the Spectacular Story in 68, in case you... Needed a refresher of who this guy is. It's rehashed it a couple of times recently. Well, Nathan Lubinsky is also at the gravesite to support Aunt May and Peter, but he tells Peter to man up. <laughs> As Peter sullenly walks off, he sees a man assaulted by three FBI agents. He saves the man and looks at the crypt above which he sees the name Mendel Strom. Yeah, May and Nathan Lubinsky ask Peter for money. Do you remember when all the old folks pooled their money to post bail for Peter? <laughs> yes, I recall. But they're like, we need some money because we want to buy back the house again and fix it up and let some other old people right. move in or whatever. And they're they're like, Peter, you confront us the money, right? And he's like, yeah, I guess. I'm like, Why don't they ask the old people? <laughs> yeah. That's what he says. Uh, As Peter walks the ESU campus, recalling the late evil robot scientist, Mendelstrom, uh, he ignores his grad student friends again, and Biff, who uh, runs up to him and accuses him of making Debbie cry. Give it to him, Biff. Unfortunately for Biff, Peter's in no mood for his yelling and backhand slaps him, ending the confrontation. Dr. Sloan sees the incident and once again insists Peter end his teaching assistantship to focus on his studies and clearly on himself, too. As Peter stomps out of ESU, Deb follows, and when she sees Spider-Man swinging off where Peter once was, Deborah Whitman wonders. Get him, Deb. She, she's got to put two and two together here that he's Spider-Man, right? Well, we knew from our other podcast that went two books past us that Deb's on to him. Now we know why. I remember recalling when I read that then that's dangerous for her. Um, maybe she'll get lucky and have one of those Hobie Brown incidents where somebody uh, else yes. dresses up as Spider-Man. We can, we got to eliminate Peter as an option. He's got to get out of this somehow, but he doesn't know that she knows, which is going to be a problem. Uh, Spidey ends up catching up with the three agents from earlier and together 
They break into Strum's tomb to find a humanoid robot Strum creating robots the same way his dad or master did before. Spidey has a little trouble with some of the robots, but he beats the reanimated Strum and cheekily writes, died again, on the tomb. He writes it in web, by the way. He doesn't, like, put it in permanent. Scratch it in with a chisel. I have a lot of problems here. I, I got a little confused in this book um, for me. I mean, you know, I, was, I had to kind of read things more than once sometimes about who these people were and what was going on. I think in my mind, I always had Spencer Smythe as the robot creator. Agreed. Yeah, I don't remember Strom that well. I know his first appearance was the same issue as the first appearance as Norman Osborn, like 200 books ago. But, uh, you know... I'd rather not try to call on Kevin Ewing every time I have an issue with this, but I'm sure. Well, uh, I'm sure I do remember him message. getting assassinated yeah. by uh, yeah. Norman Osborn. The secretive gun through the window gets him. That's how he gets killed. I just don't know why we have this guy back and why this book even exists. And the backstory of all the other people is relevant. So this was not like a, f- mm-hmm. a filler issue. Right. They wanted to do this. So, Eddie. How can people reach us? You can email us anytime at letsreadspiderman at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Twitter at Let's Read Spidey. I'm James B. Joined by Eddie. And remember, listeners, that Let's Read Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man, is a division of Let's Read Spider-Man, a proud member of the PacePot Patreon Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this podcast, you may also enjoy a podcast about your artistic talents and making sure you explore them all the time. That sounds like a great idea. I I love art in all forms. It says here specifically, Eddie, that this is actually a music-based podcast. Wow. Teach you to become a better musician. All right. Something I do almost every day is teach someone, hopefully, to become a better musician. So I'm ready. Listen each week to Calypso the Drummer (laughs) as she teaches you how to wipe away people's sense of responsibility sense of smell and their spider senses with their special magic drum that's calypso the magic drummer fridays at 3 30 each week on the PacePot patreon podcast network uh you know it's it's hard for me not to support this james b but somehow a mind-altering drum session i don't know i probably not the best thing for me to be doing Bye. Oh, goodbye. James B. in um, uh, what book sixty-five? Craven seems to go into handcuffs very peacefully at the end. I guess his only crime was destruction of property. That is a crime, though. True. And he is, I guess, arrested. Maybe he figures he didn't do anything very wrong, so... Did you, like, look carefully at that to see all the things that Craven could have done wrong? He broke a chimney. Well, he does start off at the beginning fighting a bunch of people. He's throwing people around. They're like a... Right? He, he's built, he's like, an entire his... set, too, to look like New York that he throws these people. But he <laughs> hired them to be there. He doesn't. He doesn't kill any of them. It's true. I assume they all get paid anyways. So, just just a hard dollar earned. <laughs> he throws a bunch of spears into a water tower. True. Pokes a bunch of holes in them. 
that's a problem, right? I don't think the water tower actually explodes, though. So no, it doesn't. He breaks the top of uh, on the building. He, he busts some stuff, like you said. He, you know, he, <laughs> I think that's it. Yeah, he just breaks the chimney. One chimney. Yeah, you're right. Craven didn't really do anything. What? I guess he can. We'll let him go. He's Never like, mind. Sure. This book, uh... He's like arrest me because I know I'll be out of jail like tonight. And my lawyer will get all these charges dismissed. <laughs> yeah, and they're all like, "We're gonna arrest the girl playing the drum too." I'm like, "What'd she do?" Ah, disturbing What's the peace. <laughs> there you go. Good catch, Eddie. Great job. Thank you.